the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the Heart of the City. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. With me today is Mark Hansen. He's the owner of Saga Storytelling and Communications. Welcome this morning to Heart of the City, Mark. Thank you, Chuck. Glad to be here. You and I had an opportunity to connect at a uh, an event called Race in Place, which was held down at Embassy uh, Bible Fellowship uh, down in... Um, the Rainier uh, district down there, yeah, and uh, had a chance to just hear some uh, some interesting information, and we got to know each other at the at there. And I said, "Hey, I'd love for you to come on and join me on Heart of the City because you've got a pretty interesting story." Well, I'd like to think so. <laughs> well, uh, you you've done a podcast called "Mixed Bag Culture Adoption and the Transracial Family," and we want to talk about. Not only that podcast, but there's a story behind that. And but uh, as normal, we like to kind of get some background information sure, on sure. you. Did you grow up in this area? Uh, yeah, I'm a Northwesterner. I grew up on the Olympic, Olympic Peninsula and uh, spent most of my life there, from Port Townsend to Forks to Squim, and and uh, yeah. So and then eventually ended up here in Seattle. And mm. we've I've lived here since since I got out of college. Yeah. So. So, uh, what was your spiritual life like? Were you uh, did you grow up in a in a, a family that uh, knew the Lord, or was that a, a journey for you later on in life? No, I uh, I did grow up in a family that knew the Lord. Um, I uh, was saved at the age of five years old or thereabouts by my paternal grandfather, uh, who was involved in uh, the ministry and missions, and so yeah, so I. Grew up going to church, uh, went to a Christian school from third grade on, had a Christian cat and dog, I'd like to joke. <laughs> right, <laughs> but, everything uh, was Christian. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, and, and you know, I, I actually, I, I kind of took it for granted, so I didn't, it wasn't until probably college that I really started taking my faith seriously mm-hmm. and realized that um, I needed to take more ownership in this. It wasn't just my mom and dad's religion, but it was mine, and so to start pursuing uh, spiritual disciplines such as quiet time. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh, you, you mentioned college. Where did you go to school? I went to Bob Jones University in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what years were that, was that? That was 1986 to 1990. Wow. I'll let you do the math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, let's uh, you know. Typically, we get get into some of those years, but 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 I really want to get into a discussion about uh, your podcast and and uh, uh, and your family. And so, obviously, along the way, you you met somebody, and mm-hmm. her name is Sheila. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell me about that. Well, yeah, uh, Sheila and I met at uh, a. 
Bible Study Fellowship, a singles class that uh, was taking place uh, down in Normandy Park, uh, just south of Seattle. I mm-hmm. was I was in my late twenties, um, and uh, we were both leaders together at the uh, at BSF there for a few months. But God had a calling on my life that really kind of dates back to to high school. Um, in high school, I started flirting with the idea of going into radio. Um, the principal at the Christian school there had, he had a bit of a background in radio and I was doing platform um, competition, you know, poetry recitation, all these kinds of things using my voice. And uh, one year in, in high school when I was at a national competition, um, I really felt like we were at a, um, an evening rally and uh, the speaker was delivering his message and at the end there was an altar call and uh, I'm getting goosebumps here. <laughs> hmm. um, but I really felt like God was calling me into radio, some sort of radio ministry. Um, fast forward a few years, you know, at Bob Jones, I went back and forth between majors, ultimately ended up uh, getting a degree in marketing. Um, and then when I got out of school, I was uh, in work. I kept on hearing people say, Boy, you've got a great voice for radio. I'm like, and I'm like, I don't want to go to my grave <laughs> not knowing. Uh-huh. Um, my grandpa, who was, uh, he had helped when he was uh, still in ministry. He'd helped start a, a radio station up in Nome, Alaska, KICY, the Voice of the Arctic. I see why. I get it. Yeah. Very, I see Nome. I get it. K I C Y. Got it. Um, in any case, and I had toyed with the idea of going up there. Uh, at a couple of points through my 20s. My grandpa was always kind of, he was pretty persistent, uh, Grandpa Ralph was. And um, and ultimately, uh, so here I was building houses at the time and a leader um, at BSF. And I come home from, um, it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I come home from my folks' place over in Squim. And there's a, a, a message from my grandpa on the voicemail. And uh, it wasn't the first time I'd heard such a message, but I listened to it, and he was talking about how they just had a couple who had left the station there in Nome, and they really needed someone. And when I finished listening to the message, I mean, there was this, I don't know how to describe it. I, I guess maybe a quickening of my spirit, who mm-hmm. knows? But it was like, I'm going to Nome. Um, I just felt for the first time this conviction that that was something beyond certainty that I was going to do. Yeah, you, you hear the term from some old-time preachers, you knew, you know in your knower, right? You, yeah. You, you knew it in your, in your knower that this was what you were supposed to do. Yeah. So so two months later, I was boarding up an Alaska Airlines flight up to Anchorage, and then from Anchorage to Nome. And um, initially, it was just supposed to be for six months, and it ended up being for 18. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, you know, that was kind of my, I, I think I approached it from the wrong attitude, but it was kind of this acid test of whether this does anything for me, um, in air quotes. And it was a highly automated station. In any case, I, I ended up coming back to Seattle after, at the end of 18 months. And uh, I had some, some, you know, spiritual issues I had to work through at the time. And, mm-hmm. and so, uh, um, yeah, and and there's always been kind of this missional aspect to my calling. I really felt like God was going to use me in some sort of strategic or missional mm-hmm. bent. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, so then 
another 15 years later, something like that, after working in uh, the marketing, PR and marketing um, industry for a number of those years, uh, writing content for, for technology companies, mm-hmm. uh, and really felt like God's calling about three years ago. He's like, I'm not done with you in this area of radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so ever since I've been, and that was about that point that I'd started Saga Storytelling and Communications. Mm-hmm. And so since then, I've kind of been taking baby steps. And last summer, um, through a couple of um, encounters, I really felt like, you know, God was saying, I, I want you to start your own podcast, which mm-hmm. which which kind of was um, a bit intimidating. I've... In in my vocation, I've always generally been the person who is writing other people's content. I I have sometimes had a difficult time putting myself out there. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd rather be behind the scenes. You know, pay no attention to the person behind the curtain. Right. Right. So, uh, but this time, you know, the Lord's called you to share at least at the beginning here message a message about uh, a. Um, what you call a transracial family. So we yeah. were talking about Sheila. So where, when did you meet Sheila? You met you met back at the Bible study, but when did yeah. that suddenly become serious? Well, I, I, it started becoming serious when I was up in Nome, uh-huh. and we started exchanging email, and um, I, I, I I knew that you know she was the one. Right. Uh, when I got back, it I was kind of. Uh, Running scared a little mm-hmm. bit, so it took me a few months before I finally um, breached that subject with her. So mm-hmm. because we were we were good friends, so right. and I didn't want to ruin a good thing. So um, yeah, so we we got married in in two two thousand one, uh-huh. and uh, we were on the five year plan. So <laughs> we had we had Cece. And about that time, you know, focus on the family and, uh, you know, other ministries were really trying to, starting to, to beat the drum about adoption. Interesting. And so we had a, uh, a conversation, a family planning conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Sheila, Sheila really felt uh, God had laid it on her heart to, to adopt. Um, and I, I didn't have any sort of compulsion that I needed to, you know, extend extend my bloodline. Yeah. Right. I needed a boy. Right. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, let's let's go for it. So that, I mean, the, the conversation was much more involved in that. But um, yeah, we really so we we started pursuing adoption and you know looked into a, a few avenues, whether it be international, going through an agency, uh, going private. Uh, and ultimately, we we adopted two children through the state, and um, yeah. So, uh, so uh, when it comes to adoption and making those kinds of decisions, obviously uh, for a couple, there really does need to be an agreement on that. Oh, certainly. There? I mean, you re- it's really you can't you can't go off on your on your own realistically as a couple to. Uh, uh, to adopt if the other person is not uh, doesn't buy into it. No, you can't. That's uh, that's a recipe for disaster. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So when you decided to to make that, uh, and and how old was uh, was your was your first daughter then? How old was she when you were talking about adoption? Did she understand what the process uh, uh, was for that? That you, she may be getting uh, you know some siblings. Well, she was only a year old. Okay. When uh, we started the conversation, right? 
Uh, and I think she was probably three or so when we finally brought Grace home from the hospital. Grace was five days old. Uh-huh. But we'd already we, – we started having conversations with, with Cecilia early on because um, we wanted – you know, she's part of the family too, exactly. right? And so as much as a three, four, five-year-old can be bought into the whole thing, right. we wanted her to be part of that process. And, but then how about grandmas and grandpas? Was that important for them to understand? You know, oh, certainly. You know, what, what your decision was as far as mm-hmm. adoption and what you were doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And so um, Grace came along, uh-huh. and she's an African-American child. Yes. So what was the thought process with that? Or was there one? I mean, was it just this child's available and needs a home? Was there discussion about uh, someone of different ethnicity? Well, yeah, it basically was that. I mean, we, we, so we adopted through the state, uh-huh. and um, it was like a, a two- or three-year process. And, um, and then eventually, we finally, we got the, that phone call. Uh, Sheila was driving up the 405 and got a phone call from the caseworker and said, hey, we have a, a five-day-year-old African-American girl, and she's uh, at Valley, Valley Medical. And mm-hmm. um, so, so, yeah, we're like, yeah. So, so that kind of was the, the start of our, our journey. Yeah. Or, or that's when uh, we gave birth to Grace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we when you talk about the biological... You know, the uh, gestational process, and like for with Grace, it was like a two-year or whatever gestational process that where she was born into our family and became part of our forever family. Yeah. So yeah. So were there uh, positive, negative reactions to to you adopting some? Uh, you know. No. And being an interracial family, was there there no issues from the church or from others or comments or anything like that? It was a pretty normal process. It was pretty normal. I mean, you get comments now and then uh-huh. um, from the church. No. I yeah. mean, more so when you're at the grocery store, you might get a look. Right. Um, I don't recall that we've had anything that was overtly negative. Uh-huh. It was more the looks or... So, and more, I would say it's a people who make a comment out of their their uh, ignorance uh-huh. or uh, ignorance is a strong word, but not being informed of some of the issues and some of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they might say something that's like, "If you were in my shoes and you heard me say that to you, you you know." So yeah, I, I think that's more the the challenge sometimes is that people who have not gone on this journey, as well-meaning as they might be, they um, they just they don't get it. Yeah. So then after Grace, you decided to adopt again. Yes, we did. Um, we, uh, when, just before the adoption with Grace was finalized, uh, we, under, we, we discovered that uh, the birth mom would, was expecting another child. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, we got Ocean when he was uh, seven months old. So his name is o- Ocean. 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 Yes. And, yes. Okay, and he's boy. Yes, he is. <laughs> so brother and sister. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Very they're, good. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. 
So obviously, when you uh, did this podcast called Mixed Bag, Culture, Adoption, and the Transracial Family, what started to, to develop in your heart as far as wanting to articulate what a, what a transracial family is and what are the the specific needs of a transracial family or well so when i when i it was last june july when i first had this these two encounters where i felt like god was maybe calling me towards having my own podcast and so i just kind of started stepping out on faith and at that point, I did not really have a sense of what I would talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until October when I was at a, a men's retreat for foster and adoptive dads in Colorado Springs. And I, I ran into a couple of other guys who, who have had um, similar situations where you're um, really wanting to support your children who are of a, a different race or different culture than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that for us personally, when we started our journey and we, Grace was still, uh, we had not, the adoption had not been finalized and we had gone to the refresh conference that's at Overlake every year. In fact, it just wrapped up this last weekend. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a refreshes for foster and adoptive parents. And uh, there were like, I think a, close to 2,000 people there this year from all over the country. It's, wow. it's an amazing resource for foster and adoptive families. Mm-hmm. I, I'll put in a plug there. Well, please do. Yeah. And, and so, um, and one of the breakout sessions, or a couple of them that year, was about the need to raise your child um, in an environment that is consistent with their culture. So if you live in white suburbia, you need to do whatever you can to integrate their culture so in our case like you know there are all these things that you need to to, uh, address from a practical standpoint like hair care skin care etc but beyond that is the cultural aspect of what is the culture of um what does african-american culture look like and that's that's a really there are so many facets to that Mm -hmm. so so fast forward to this last fall when I was having these conversations with uh, one or two guys whose families were in similar situations that, that uh, they were in the same situation that we had been like three years ago, um, at which point we started going to a multi-ethnic church. Um, and so uh, collecting my thoughts here, but so the, so there's a, there's a real challenge of wanting to nurture the identity of your of your child, and to have a sense, uh, so that they have a a sense of who God made them to be. Mm-hmm. And if they grow up in a, if they have a br- upbringing where everyone around them is white, and um, there's really no nothing that really reflects their background, then later on, like when they become adolescents. That leads to a lot of questions and a lot of sure. who am I? Mm-hmm. A lot of struggles. So that's really kind of, and so the podcast is all about uh, talking to experts uh, from various backgrounds and adoptive or foster parents who maybe have to share their their journey along their their experience along this journey to really share amongst the foster and adoptive community. Uh, 
practical resources and, and how do we tackle this, especially when you're dealing with all sorts of other issues um, that uh, that can be all-consuming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what's a uh, if if someone is considering adoption, and especially if they're considering adopting someone uh, a child from an, another race, what are some of the th- what are some of the uh, keys that you would say are important? What are some of the things that need to be considered? Oh wow! I mean, and I don't. I certainly let me put this out there. I do not profess to be the expert on this topic mm-hmm. at this point. So my and my podcast is kind of this creating this gracious space to ask um, uninformed questions. Right. Um, well, I, you know, I, I do think as, as much as possible to, uh, to create, to build relationships with people of color who are, you know, of their same background mm-hmm. at the very least or, or others. I mean, to, so in our case, we, like I said, we, we have, um, it was about a two or three year process, but ultimately we found a, a church in the Renton area, um, that's intentionally multi-ethnic. And so it's a, a nice blend of, of African-American, of Asian, Caucasian, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that's been really good, but obviously it's beyond that. So, what doing whatever you can to um, to cr- build those relationships, and also informing yourself about some of the challenges that uh, are in the history of that community. So, for African Americans, obviously, and that's a, a, a topic that seems especially on a lot of people's hearts and minds these days. Mm-hmm. So what are, what is their narrative? Um, and, you know, they, I'm not, I'm going to butcher it, but history, there are many versions of history depending on who the winner was, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what are the alternate narratives? And so trying to, and, and that's been a process for me, uh, you know, to open my mind to other ways of looking at things mm-hmm. and being empathetic. Um and do you think that you would have been that way without the the adoption process that you've gone through? No. Yeah. I mean I I think I would think that I was. Uh-huh. <laughs> but this has kind of been that this has been like you this is where the rubber meets the road. This is this is reality. This is, you know, you're understanding more about your life and your perspective and now you're you're wanting to see it through the eyes of your children mm-hmm. who have a different perspective be, you know because of their ethnicity and because of their background etc and so it's it's required of you something that you may not have been required of if if you had a, adopted a, a white child right right and that's a good thing it is a good thing because i do think that uh, if i can you know Step into the common commentarial role here. I, I I think that the the church has um, been too. We are so homogeneous to a fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great book, uh, Brent McCracken. I haven't read it yet, but I heard a podcast. Brent McCracken, who's with the Gospel Coalition, has written this book about the importance of the church not being homogenous, mm-hmm. that the church is best when you have a diversity of opinions and backgrounds 
and you kind of get that iron sharpening iron uh, dynamic. Um, and I think that that's, the church has more to do in that area. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I think that, um, well, at least speaking for myself personally, this is certainly um, the road, uh, adopting Grace and Ocean has certainly helped open our eyes mm-hmm. to this need. And um, is it an easy process? No. But is it necessary? Most definitely. Yeah. Well, we've just got a, a few seconds left here, Mark. I think the takeaway that I have in listening to you and you sharing your story is that the word process is is the is the key f- the, that I'm hearing about you is that you didn't have all the answers, you know. Still don't. Still don't. But yet you've taken this step of faith, adopted these children, and the Lord's developing some really powerful things and and for the future of your ministry through the insights that you're gaining and raising your family. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you for joining me today. If you want to uh, connect with Mark, it's mark.hanson040 at gmail.com. And uh, Mark, thanks for joining me today on Heart of the City. Pleasure being here. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on 820 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to 820amtheword.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.